Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Leyline Junction, a metaphysics podcast. Later this hour, you will hear us talking about. I think you're, it's absolutely correct. It's, it's celebrating those accomplishments. Again, if you look at the card in the photos, and I'm a very visual person, you see them, you know, with the flowers up, and it's a very joyous, it's exciting. All that and more coming up this hour. Welcome to the Leyline Junction. Joanne, Teresa, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, it's good to have you back. I'm excited about this hour because uh, I mentioned to you there, when I was starting to learn tarot myself, there were a couple of cards where I, I had some problems with what the textbooks were telling me, uh, and I really needed to talk about these things with someone, and so that drove me to start these conversations and one of the cards we're going to talk about today is one of the one of those cards uh, although i will admit that in brushing up and doing my research for this episode i think i have a better understanding and i'm less bothered by what i saw in the cards but i do want to talk about what i originally saw but that will come later and to our listeners, uh, I, I keep saying that we're very happy that you're a part of this journey and you are an important part of this project. Uh, so I do want to let you know a little bit about what's going on. We did record the first three episodes kind of right away and only after we had those recorded did I start actually editing them. Uh, and I, I noticed some of the things we did, we tended to kind of lose track of common themes that we were trying to nail down. So we're going to try and do maybe a little better job of uh, calling those out and being repetitive about it. So I don't know, you might get annoyed with me about how many times I say, well, the cups are the suit of emotion. And... But, you know, we'll see. Um, I also did notice how much we focused on uh, non-standard decks like the Arthurian deck and like the Buffy deck and the Nightmare Before Christmas. And I definitely want to keep those because I think it's nice to see the diverse range of how these cards are represented and how these cards might be interpreted. But I do want to do a little more in terms of connecting those cards to what unifies these cards through any deck. Um, and so we'll do that. But uh, at the same time, we do have an Instagram account. So send us a If you like hearing more about the Buffy deck or other decks, uh, drop us a line. Let us know uh, if you do want us to stick more to traditional interpretations. Uh, let us know. But anyways, so again, today we're going to be talking about our fours. So in the fours today, based on numerology interpretations are fours represent structure. They represent foundation. Uh, so we're going to look for that as we discuss these cards today. Jumping in with the four of wands, we have depicted in the Rider Waite and Smith deck are four wands and they are all supporting a floral canopy very reminiscent of a chuppah from a Jewish wedding. So this is our card of celebration. And 
again, with the wands being our suit of inspiration, this card does ask us to take a look at what we've done, be proud of what we've done, and celebrate our accomplishments. Joanne, Teresa, anything that you might add to this card? I think you're, it's absolutely correct. It, it's celebrating those accomplishments. Again, if you look at the card in the photos, and I'm a very visual person, you see them, you know, with the flowers up and it's a very joyous, it's exciting. It's a very exciting photo to look at. And I think some, again, somebody who's new, looking at it and just seeing, okay, joy, celebration, that that's what really stands out to me. So there's a feeling of safety and security with this card as well. It looks like a wedding to me, but the feeling that I get from it is almost like a graduation party in a sense where you've accomplished something and now we're celebrating the accomplishment. We're celebrating now as a time to rest and enjoy the accomplishment, whatever it is that you have accomplished. It's like you've gotten over the hump and now is the time to rest and enjoy the fruits of your labor. And can you tell me where it was that you get this sense of security? Well, everything everything is just very happy. The The colors are warm and inviting. There's a very strong, well-kept castle. Like the structure is in good repair. Mm -hmm. If you look at the lines, you know, it looks like it's, you know, freshly built. It's a solid structure providing security of home like it's a it's a secure home a secure castle fortress what have you but not in a way that invokes fear it's it's just the safety of home i get from this i you know what actually i think i was looking at a couple of my other decks and i felt like a country home came up twice in two separate decks which was interesting to me and I, maybe that's where i'm getting the feeling of like home comfort, the safety and security of coming back home after a journey away. Actually, the Buffy deck says, ah, home sweet home. The four of stakes represents the feeling of returning to a familiar place, to reuniting with your community and being supported by a strong foundation. It can foretell a respite before a stressful period, like taking a break to grab more stakes before a brutal patrol and encourages you to soak up all of the cozy. In that description that you just read for us, it's not as much of a celebration. It's not like a wedding or a graduation, but it is taking the time to notice the the good around us. Right. And I think that that's the feeling that I get from, like I'm looking at three different cards right now, or three different decks same card, the four of, of wands or spears or stakes, depending on which deck you're looking at. And they all evoke that same feeling of safety in a familiar place, coming the, the, the feeling of security coming home. Thank you. All right. I do want to move on to the four of cups. So the four of cups we see in the writer Wayton Smith, we see a young man depicted uh, who is sitting. His body language is a little bit closed off. Uh, he's sitting with his arms folded, his legs crossed. He is staring down at three cups in front of him. And to the side is a cup that is being offered from the heavens that he does not see. Uh, and I was get this seems to be a Taylor Swift, uh, you belong with me kind of card where we're so focused on these three cups, we don't see the wonderful one that's right in front of our face. And actually, I do want to talk a little later. There is, in a lot of the interpretations that I'm seeing, there's one difference that comes off as minor, but I think it's really important. Uh, and it's a question of whether or not the cup is in front of him or is the cup in the distance behind him. Uh, but I'm going to talk about that more in a moment. Uh, I'd like to ask you about your impressions of this card. 
so I think that we've spoken about this, that there, there are currently two slightly different versions of the Waitsmith deck. There's the original that was created quite a while ago. It was at the turn of the century, the last century. <laughs> um, 1909? Yeah, early 1900s. And there's a more recent version that's a little more cartoonish, but it's a little more fleshed out. It's called the Radiance version of the Waitsmith deck. And there might be more detail, a little more detail in the in the Radiant deck uh, because it's not such harsh lines to it. There's more shading. And I feel like I'm getting a little clearer of a picture of his face the the young man who's sitting under the tree and what i'm getting from that is that he is discontent with the three cups that are sitting on the ground in front of him that's just my feeling from what i'm getting from him his arms are crossed and closed closed off like he's dissatisfied with the options but almost to a point where he's focusing on those three options seeing only three options and not noticing that there is a fourth being presented to him and to me, that kind of evokes a sense of if you're practicing gratitude, if you're appreciating what is in your life, and if you do actually set goals for yourself or set the intention out there that you want other opportunities or you know about where you want to go, you start to notice those opportunities cross your path. Like you're, you're already training your mind to look for those opportunities. Whereas if you are focusing on your dissatisfaction or the things that you don't like about your life, you're going to focus on those things that you don't like about your life. And you're not going to notice the opportunity that might be in the peripheral. And if you would just shift your head a little bit, you'll start noticing more things coming towards you that you can then accept those into your life, if that makes sense. So I, I did have uh, in in my research. Uh, I'm remembering one outlier interpretation of this card. I'm sorry, I did not write it down. I don't remember which text this came from because I wasn't going to mention it, but it kind of fits here. And the interpretation was that this character has been through some trauma, some difficult times, and is very upset with the current situation and therefore is closed off to new possibilities mm -hmm. like this heavenly cup being offered. And that to me sounds very much like what you're describing here. Yeah, I think it ties in because I think if you get caught up in in the victim mentality that things are happening to me, and I'm, I just never can win, I'm never going to win, then you're never going to win because you've already programmed yourself to decide that you're just never going to win. And I don't know, maybe, maybe there is fireball whiskey in this cup instead of a nice wine, but it might have a nice wine in it. So maybe you should try it. I don't know. No, in seriousness though, I think, I think that does tie in because I think, I think you can get so, so caught up in only bad things happen to me and you forget that, you know, you have a roof over your head or maybe you don't love your job, but it has allowed you to do certain things that had a priority. Like for example, this probably would have been a, a card that might've popped up in the last few years for me where I was not very happy or enthusiastic or passionate about the job that I had but I had an income. It was a good income. I had the benefits that I still retained from, I was still with the same company. It just was in a role that I didn't particularly enjoy with people that I didn't particularly mesh with, but it allowed me during COVID to have the security of a, the security of a job, uh, the security of a paycheck, the, I had a reputation already with this company so I got a little bit more leeway than I would have going to a brand new company after I'd moved to Pennsylvania from Boston. And I had more flexibility to go home and help my family through a difficult time. Maybe I didn't like the job, but I had, I had a lot, I had a lot more than somebody 
who lost their job in that time. And then an opportunity came in <laughs> at the right time. So for the four of cups, I've always, he looks like he's contemplating, but he's con contemplating so deeply at just these three options in front of him. He's not looking at the other option that's literally holding out to him. And sometimes when this card comes up, it's telling the person, sometimes you need to stop what you're doing, take that step back and, and look around and for, for that other option. So what I wanted to really talk about and what's going to kind of lead into another, a broader question that I have today, and I, I don't know where I got this because in doing the research for this episode, I went back and I went looking for what I thought I had read the first time. and I couldn't find it. And the first time when I was just learning tarot, I only had like two books, you know, you, you've both talked about how you go through life collecting tarot decks. That hasn't really happened to me. I have my two tarot decks, and then I've got some <laughs> other non-tarot oracle decks, which we will talk about in a future episode. Uh, for me, my problem is books. And so I only had two books when I was starting to read them, uh, when I was starting to learn the cards, and now I'm I'm up to like I think since the last episode, I got two more. Um, <laughs> it's it's been it's been good because uh, it is helping me understand these cards, and I'm hoping I'm putting them all together for us all. But the interpretation that I thought I had read somewhere, I had thought that I read that this person was focused on the little things, and there was this great opportunity that he was missing. And that was kind of reinforced by, I'm going to turn back to the Shadowscapes deck by Stephanie Puy-Munlaw that I mentioned before. And I, I checked the booklet for this one, and it's not in there, but it is kind of suggested by the card. This card depicts a mermaid on the shore, and she's kind of playing with the ripples in the water. She has her finger kind of lazily dangling into the water, and she's playing with the ripples and does not notice the cups and the towering castle in the background behind her. And this this upset me because I like the little things. I like taking pleasure in the little things. I like stopping to smell the roses. And why do you need to seize every single opportunity as great as it may be? She, this particular, I, yes, the, the character in the Rider Waite and Smith deck does not look happy, but the mermaid kind of does. She, she's pretty happy just playing with the ripples in the water. And I thought that's great. Who needs the giant castle? But like I mentioned, I now can't find where I saw that. So have either of you ever interpreted the card this way or heard that? No, I don't, I don't think I have, but that is, that is actually a really interesting take on the card. The Arthurian legend deck has a, it's, I think it's not until the nines, if I remember correctly. I mean, we'll get there eventually, but there is a similar card to that where there's a, a woman, a, a young woman in a boat, and she looks like she's very listlessly dragging her fingers through the water, but in a in a dissatisfied way. And to me, I'm kind of seeing that in the mermaid. I don't know. I don't necessarily see her as happy or content in that her body posture could be interpreted to me as somewhat listless, as somewhat you know, not, it's not, she's not energized. She doesn't look like she's energized to me. So it could be a, a pause or a recuperation, although that's one of these other cards. But I think, I, I'm not saying that you were wrong in the way that you read it, because I think in that moment, you read it the way that you were meant to read it in that moment. I don't think it's wrong, even though you can't find that interpretation again. I think that you got the message that you needed to get, and maybe we wouldn't be here discussing that if you hadn't. So how about that for an opportunity coming from the side? 
I like that. I really like that. And I, I will just say like what you were saying just now, how she does kind of look maybe listless and that could fit in with the thread we were discussing before about being dissatisfied with our choices and not recognizing the new ones. But I know we have not yet gotten to, we have two other fours that we need to discuss, but there is one question that we've, we've really skirted around this. We've touched on it, but never directly tackled it in the past couple of episodes that I really want to talk about. And that is, we've said, and I, I fully believe in spiritual concerns, you go with what feels right. And this, this may be an inappropriate analogy to make. Uh, I'm sure it's going to upset some people, but I'm going to make it anyway. Uh, it's like a workout routine where one fad is not necessarily better than the other, but it's kind of the ultimate self-fulfilling prophecy where if you think a workout routine is not going to work, you are not going to be engaged. You are not going to put effort into it. You're not going to pay attention. It's not going to work. If you do come across a fad that you think is going to work, that you feel good about, it will keep you engaged. And ultimately, just because it's keeping you active, it'll work. And I, I feel like a, on a lot of spiritual matters, we as human beings, while we are on this earth, we're never going to know the truth. But in the meantime, I do feel that whatever keeps us engaged with spiritual philosophy, with spiritual practices, these these are a good thing. And so, yes, for most most spiritual practices, I say whatever you're feeling, you go with until such a time as it affects another person, right? Like organized religion. As a concept, I love it. There are a lot of people that it helps. But as soon as you feel like you have to force your beliefs on somebody else, then it becomes a problem. Like if you don't believe in birth control, if you don't believe in gay marriage, fine, don't participate in those. But I have a problem when you decide someone else has to believe that these are sins, that they cannot participate. And so I worry that in the case of a tarot reading, do we have a responsibility to another person? And does that responsibility put more pressure on us to stick with, let's say, traditional interpretation of a card? Or do we go with what feels good? And I know that if you are an experienced reader, somebody who is well-established, people are going to be coming to you because they trust you, because they like your interpretations of these cards. And the people who don't like your interpretations are not going to come to you. Fine. But as a novice, uh, as somebody who myself is just learning the cards, and I know we've, we've spoken in the past about being comfortable with your intuition and learning to trust that, the question comes, if, if I am looking at this card and I know that traditional wisdom says this card is telling us don't focus on what's in front of you, but be, be prepared for those opportunities in the sky. But I'm feeling something very different from this card. I'm feeling, no, enjoy what you've got and don't worry about what you might be missing. Do I have a responsibility to go with the traditional interpretation or do I have a responsibility to go with what I'm feeling how does this all play out when I'm really, I'm worried about the person who has come to me for, and whether it's a party trick or legitimate advice, they're going to be listening. What, what is my responsibility there? I think in, in good conscience, my responsibility is to give them the message I'm getting with my gut. It's not necessarily the traditional it, it changes. It also depends on the context of the reading. I'm not typically reading just one card. You can, but in a, in a reading, in a serious reading, I would say that you are reading a spread. What's in the context of that spread. I'm going to, I'm going to go with 
the message that I'm getting from the entire picture that I'm getting. And what's popping out at me as well, you know, I, I might see, I might for some reason focus on the tree and, you know, what's hanging from the tree above him. It might pop out at me in that moment or, or the way that his arms are crossed or what he's wearing, the color that he's wearing, something like that might pop out at me diff- in a different reading, you know, depending on the reading, depending on the cards that are surrounding it, I might see red in a card right next to it and and get a feel for that. Like there's some kind of a passion or maybe there's an anger depending on what that other card is or, you know, what else could red, st- you know, stand for love. Maybe, maybe there's a love interest that he's not noticing. I don't know. I'm, I'm pulling things out, but I think you see what I'm saying that the fuller picture of the reading beyond just the one singular card will add to the story and again, we've got 78 cards in this deck that are helping to tell this story and give this message. And Joanne? My responsibility to the subject would be really going with the gut. What's in the photo? I agree with a lot of what Teresa says. For, for me, it is having them understand that here's how I'm interpreting it based on what's around. I was leaning towards the thought of saying, well, here is the traditional interpretation, but here's what I'm feeling and like giving mm-hmm. both options. But I do want to thank you. I I love the idea of reading the spread rather than mm-hmm. reading a single card. So thank you. As, as, a, as a learner, <laughs> I find that a very satisfying answer. So thank you very much. Okay. The next card we want to talk about There is some of that element to this here, too. We're looking at the Four of Swords. And this card from the Rider Waite and Smith deck clearly depicts a tomb. We have a a coffin with an effigy on top of it. The effigy seems to have its hands together, not necessarily in a death pose, but in a more of a contemplation pose. And traditional interpretation says, this is our our burnout card. This is somebody who is exhausted and needs some quiet time, needs some me time to sit and think and figure things out. And this card does recommend to us that we take that time, that we shut ourselves off from the world for a moment, for some quiet reflections. Joanne, Teresa, what can you add to that interpretation? It's absolutely the burnout card. It is stillness. It's peace, quiet, just that moment of not having anybody talk to you, not having anybody need you, you know, just being alone, being still. And um, I think the burnout card, that's a fabulous way to put it. I want to say that I it's the four of swords kind of feels like the eye of the hurricane, the calm in the middle of the storm, recuperation between battles, if you will. It's just needing to take a breath or catch your breath before you start again with whatever challenge it is that you're dealing with. And that's that's kind of what I get from this. It, it I don't get death from it, even though it does look like it's in a tomb and it looks like it's a an effigy. Well, it is an effigy, but I don't get death from this card. I get recuperation, recovery, catching your breath in the middle of a challenge. Okay. Can you tell me a little more about that? Because, you know, the past couple of episodes that we've done, uh, we talked about how important the artwork is. And yes, every source I'm getting talks about this being a person in meditation, but I'm sorry, he's clearly dead. According to the art, he's dead. So why is this not a death card? So in the Buffy deck, written by Casey Gilly and illustrated by Carl James Mountford, the Four of Swords shows Buffy, but if you know the show, spoiler alert, it's not actually Buffy. It's it's a Buffy bot. It's a, a robot made in the image of Buffy and she's charging. So uh-huh. this card to me shows 
recuperation, charging between bouts of whatever it is that she is doing as a robot, but it, you know, it's a rest and recuperation moment for the Buffy bot in the Arthurian legend deck by Anna Marie Ferguson. It is definitely a recuperation card where it shows, it looks like healers with their patients next to a quiet Creek, uh, recuperating, recharging, healing. And I think this is why a deck that speaks to you is so important. Yes, I know that like the right the Wait Smith deck is I'm gonna call it the Wait Smith deck. I don't know if we've covered this yet, but Ryder was actually the publisher at the time, and I don't know why we're giving credit to a publisher. Whereas uh, Pamela Smith was the was the illustrator and whoever Wait is was the writer of what these stood for. She did she did a lot for what he gave her. Just going to put that out there. But I, I do think that this is where it's very important. I, this is a, I mean, this is a good deck to start with. It's a good basic starter deck. It, it gets you used to looking at images. It gets you used to what the different suits mean and the different numbers, what, you know, what the different cards signify. But I think that this definitely signifies like how important it is to use decks that resonate with you that have messages that you can easily interpret and i will say um the other deck that i'm using right now uh the tina gong deck uh the four of swords clearly does depict i mean the character is kind of in the fetal position almost but definitely not dead okay so far with the cards that we've talked about. I mean, I mentioned early on in the episode that the fours based on numerology theory is, you know, foundation and structure. Uh, and because we're talking about the four pillars, we're talking about four corners, we're talking about four sides of a pyramid. And the first three cards that we've discussed didn't really adhere to that uh, very well. There wasn't a lot of talk of foundation in there, but we are now moving on to the Four of Pentacles. This is our our hoarder card. In the in the Rider Waite and Smith, we have a king, or at least a man with a crown on his head. And here the foundation is much more apparent because he's standing on two of the pentacles, or I mean, he's sitting down, but he has his feet on two of the pentacles for support. He's hugging a pentacle dearly to his chest and has one sitting on top of his crown. Traditional interpretation of this card, this is somebody who is fixated on saving, seems to be very stressed out over money, and yet the money is present. We have that foundation. This card suggests you do not have to be as stressed as we may think we are. Joanne, Teresa, anything you would add to that interpretation? Like you said, it's, so the fours are usually stability. It's the, um, I've always, yeah, I've always seen it as the person has enough and they're trying to conserve what they have and try to keep that stability as well. When I look at this card, I, I get all the things that you just said. It, it seems to me, it appears to me as someone who probably did not have enough before and now doesn't know how to be comfortable with the plenty that he has. But also with that comes a lack of risk-taking you know, not being able to spend money to create yet more money, not understanding kind of the laws of abundance and attraction that I have enough now, I can share it, I can spend it, I can, there's no sense of community here. Like if you, if you're looking at this particular card with this particular deck, the, the Waite Smith deck, he's not part of the community. He's separate. He's in front of it, but far away from it because it's, if you look at the city, it's so far behind, it's so small. So there's an isolation. So to me, there's also an element of stinginess to this, of selfishness, 
of greed, but I think it's due to past trauma of not having enough before, you know, he's, it's not like he grew up a rich boy. He never had it before. So now that he has it, he's afraid of losing it again and finding himself back in poverty. It's the way that yeah. he's holding it because he's, it's, he's holding it like he's afraid he's going to lose it at any moment. Yeah. Do we see anything that kind of unites these fours? I feel like one unifying factor is everyone seems to be in a resting space. There doesn't seem to really be current action happening. You know, the ones you're celebrating an achievement um, or a wedding. I see it as an achievement. The, the cups you're, you're looking, you're, you're getting the lay of the land. You're dissatisfied with current circumstances, but you're not quite taking steps to change them yet at this point in time. Although there is the potential for an opportunity off to the side, if you would turn your head and, and see it. But at that point, you know, but in the card at that moment, there's no action being taken yet in the swords, you know, repose, recuperation, refreshment, rest, and in the pentacles, he's not spending it. He's holding it, but he's, he's not doing, you know, he's not sharing it. He's not spending it. He's just sitting on his pile of gold and not doing anything with it. So I feel like there's like almost like a stagnation or a moment of rest, depending on, on the card, but there's no current action happening. Just a, a question that I am pondering, not that I'm I'm looking for a definitive answer to this, but I'm curious about your thoughts. So let's say I do find my deck of 78 cards that has uh, the illustrated major arcana and the unillustrated minor arcana. I did, by the way, see a, a deck, I forgot who did it, uh, that had unillustrated minor arcana but only had a couple of the major arcana it was like a 56 card deck or something anyways let's say i find my 78 card deck and i have the fours in front of me in theory i would be going by that concept of foundation of structure of uh you know do i go with that reading or do i take what i know from other ways that fours have been interpreted in other decks. I think there's a reason why you can't find that deck and you have illustrated decks in front of you. That's <laughs> <laughs> just my interpretation. I can't read a deck of regular playing cards. I, I know some people can. I need pictures. I, I need to have I the pictures. I feel more comfortable with the illustrations and it's just because of how my brain works. My brain needs to see the photos where somebody close to me can read that unillustrated and those playing cards, like there were pictures on them. And I'm just like, that's, that's a club. I, what does that mean? I, you know, you know what I mean? It's just, I mean, it's, it's the kind of thing where, I mean, it does it to me, it does make sense. And I, I mean, just, mm -hmm. I'm feeling it uh, in that we know that, the clubs translate to wands uh, and we know that that's inspiration. That's our suit mm -hmm. of inspiration. That's our, that's fire, right? Our fire suit. And so I could okay. take the four of clubs and I can say, we need to pay attention to our inspirational foundation, our, our imaginative foundation and what we're doing with that and how it fits in with everything else we're reading. So it, it does make sense to me in some ways, the pictures are distracting. Hmm. So, but again, I don't necessarily need a definitive answer to that. It's just something I'm pondering and I don't even have that deck yet. So <laughs> I think that's, <laughs> but I think that's, down to preference you know i think that i think that just comes down to preference and you know whereas i enjoy the pictures i prefer mm -hmm. the pictures to kind of guide me i need to see the story i'm a very visual person but if you're more structured and you prefer that then that is the duck for you but that's what that's the beauty of many different ducks so we find the one that that works for us that we find an affinity for and that we give good fun readings from so joanne teresa um as always 
thank you so much for joining me. And I look forward to talking to you in our next episode. Thank Thank you. you. Greetings, travelers, and welcome again to the Arcanist's Corner. So I will admit there were actually two things bothering me about our reference to relying on your intuition. And let me quickly talk about my reservations there. I mean, I I will say bottom line is I do believe uh, in relying on one's intuition. I just think it's kind of a complicated process and there are a lot of angles to appreciate uh, before committing to anything like that. The one that we talked about on the show today was your responsibility to your to the subject of the reading. And that was probably my main concern, especially when it comes to doing tarot readings. But there's actually a little more to it. And this part isn't so much about the tarot reading itself. It's more of a broad concern that I have. I'm going to back up a little bit. I'm I'm going to tell you a story. And uh, at first, this may not seem related, but uh, I will get there. Don't worry. I was at a a mind-body-spirit convention. This was maybe a year ago. And there was a woman presenting there who was promoting a self-care program that she had. And in a in a, a speech that she was giving, she told us this story, the story about a long time ago, a traveler from a distant land who came and discovered apples, right? Or not discovered, but tried apples for the first time. And this traveler decided that they wanted to bring some apples home for their friends, their family, their loved ones. And so this traveler packed up a barrel of apples and got on board a ship and sailed across the ocean. This voyage took quite a long time, as ocean voyages do. And through the course of this trip, the traveler would notice bad spots appearing on the apples. And as they noticed this, they would cut away those bad spots in order to prevent the bad spots from spreading. And as the journey went on, the traveler cut away more and more of these apples. And by the time the traveler arrived back home, there was nothing left of those apples. Now, the woman telling this story pointed out that in doing this, nobody was able to enjoy those apples. And the lesson she seemed to want us to take away from this was that in a situation like this, we should allow ourselves to enjoy those apples. Because in that case, at least we would have enjoyed them. Now, I have to say, in listening to this story, that was not the lesson that I took away. I took a very different lesson away from this story. And the lesson that I took from this was simply, if sharing these pleasures, these apples with your loved ones is something that you feel is important, and I I believe that it is, that we should share these things, then you need to find out the proper way of transporting apples before you take this journey. We know that apples were successfully transported across oceans long before refrigeration was a thing. The woman telling this story was telling this, obviously, in defense of 
selfishness and hedonism. And I know, I know those terms carry a lot of negative connotations in our society today, but I think we can all safely say that there is a time and a place where selfishness and hedonism are the correct course of action. So I, I really don't have any problems with that. And I certainly value self-care and selfishness and hedonism can be an important part of a self-care program. So I don't have any problems with that. But the problem I really do have is if we examine her choice of story much more closely, and I, I may be going overboard with this. I may be looking at things a little too carefully, but that's kind of what I do. I worry that there's an assumption behind the choice of this story that knowledge is an illusion, right? That we drew the conclusion that you should indulge in these apples because that knowledge of how to transport these apples successfully doesn't fully exist. That even if you were told how to do it, it doesn't necessarily translate to a successful trip. And I, I certainly understand the philosophy behind the thought that knowledge is an illusion. And yes, there is a debate about can you ever truly know something? And depending on your definition of what it means to truly know something, no, you can't. That being said, I know I've, I've called myself an academic on this show already. And I think in, in last episode, when we were talking about the threes, I talked about having a bachelor's degree in psychology, but actually I have spent a lot more time than that on my own schooling. I do have a master's in education and I have a PhD in rhetoric and composition. And more importantly, I do teach at the college level. So yes, I have based most of my life on pursuing knowledge, on the idea that knowledge is attainable and knowledge is not an illusion. So as much as I, I respect the philosophical argument that knowledge could be an illusion, I wouldn't say I agree with it, or at least to the extent that knowledge is attainable, uh, whatever that extent may be, I think it's it's worth striving for. And so that's kind of one of the things that bothers me about the way people in the discussion of metaphysics talk about utilizing your intuition and relying on your intuition. Because in some cases, not in all cases, but in some cases, it becomes kind of the easy way out, right? It means we don't necessarily have to study. Uh, we can just rely on our intuition. Now, I do feel that learning to understand your intuition is a very complicated process. And I do worry that a lot of people try to rely on intuition without fully understanding the signals that they're receiving. But that being said, I do think there are also a lot of people who do understand the signals they're receiving and can process that information very well. And I think that's a very important piece of metaphysical conversations. I don't in any way want to put a negative spin on anything that we've been saying. I just want to emphasize that for the purposes of the way we are studying metaphysics here, just know that it's, it's my intention going forward that I do want to maintain a certain respect for the tradition, a certain respect for the existence of this knowledge, and still acknowledge the role that intuition plays in this. Again, those those are just some reservations that were weighing on me. 
And hopefully now that I've discussed them, we can move forward a little more freely. Anyhow, until the next time our paths cross, I wish you well on your journey. Lane Junction is hosted and produced by Jeff Sternstein. The guests this week were me, Joanne Beth, and Teresa Bergato. If you want to support the show, the best thing you could do is to rate us and post a review for our show wherever you get your podcasts. You can also visit us and drop us a line on Instagram at Leyline Junction, no spaces or underscores. Jeff knew this was going to go off the rails. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm happy to be with my friends again. Like, this is this is just such a great, a great, I mean, we don't, you shouldn't need to have an excuse. But I feel like as we get older, we all need to have an excuse Yes. to carve out time to talk to each other like this, where it just seems so much easier in our 20s. Are, are, we, say, are we recording a podcast? I forgot. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to be needing this the burnout card. Were, were you not as impressed with my calling the Four of Cups the Taylor Swift? You should be. Uh, yes, should, that because... song has been stuck in my head for an entire week now. <laughs> when, when will people leave you alone? When will they not talk to you when you're dead? So pretend you're dead. So and pretend you're dead. You alone. And they leave you alone. <laughs> Please don't pretend you're dead. We would, this this podcast is not advocate pretending you're dead. Fake your own death. <laughs> they'll leave you alone. I'm kidding. That was very perky for a Thursday. <laughs>